Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Good afternoon and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today we're going to be looking at a passage in Isaiah chapter 65. And I'll start reading from Isaiah 65, verse 17, through the end of the chapter. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that has not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner, being a hundred years old, shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of Jehovah and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass, that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, saith Jehovah. And I'll stop reading there. Now, um, of course, the reason we want to look at this passage is uh, it, it is the great hope and expectation for the children of God uh, regarding their eternal future. God, in saving a people for himself, has given certain promises to them that, number one, they will live forever. Their sins are forgiven. Death has been overcome. They have been given eternal life. And God's plan is to equip them with a new resurrected body that will live forever. But where are they going to live? Well, God also promises that they will live in a new heaven and a new earth. This is the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham that we read of in Genesis chapter 17. Uh, going back there in Genesis 17, it says in verse 4, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and it will make thee exceeding fruitful, and it will make nations of thee, 
and kings shall come out of thee, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And here God is promising uh, Abraham that uh, he will give the land of Canaan, and uh, it, uh, obviously it cannot be the literal land of Canaan because it's given for an everlasting possession, and Canaan, uh, a land over in the Middle East, is part of this world. And God is very clear in the Bible that he will destroy the whole world. So it's not possible to give any portion of this world as an eternal habitation or dwelling place. And, and that means that Canaan can only picture the new earth. It's the new heaven and new earth that's in view when God promises to Abraham to give him and his seed after him the land for an everlasting possession. It's um, basically saying the same thing as the Lord Jesus said in the in the Beatitudes when he says or uh, as he says in Matthew chapter 5 in verse 5 blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth God's promised Abraham was his seed would inherit the land and Christ's promise to the meek who are um, a representation of all the elect is that they will inherit the earth and they're one and the same the meek are the seed of Abraham, and the earth is the land of Canaan. Spiritually, they are uh, referring to the identical thing, the identical truth. And that's what God is describing in Isaiah 65, beginning in verse 17 in this passage that we just read, when he says, For behold, I create, new heavens and a new earth. He's saying, I create the promised land and mine elect or the seed of Abraham, the the many nations that would come from him are the people that will inhabit this new creation. And, and so we're presently uh, living at the the end of time, the end of the world, were uh, a generation that has already gone through the church age, and we've gone through the Great Tribulation, the 23-year Great Tribulation, and now we have entered into the Day of Judgment itself, and not only into the Day of Judgment, but in all likelihood we're approaching the conclusion of the day of judgment and and that would bring the end of the world the last day for this world and it, it would also bring the time when 
the Lord Jesus Christ fulfills his word. When God fulfills all the things he has spoken concerning the new creation of a heaven and earth. And, and, and so the people of God are looking forward with good expectation to the date of October 7th of 2015 with this hope, uh, with this thought in mind, will this be the day? Finally, will this be the time when God finishes everything he has said about this present earth and he, he completes the punishment of the unsafe people of the world and, and destroys the earth. It must happen. It necessarily has to happen because a sin-cursed earth cannot continue forever and a sin-cursed people cannot live forever. And uh, just look at uh, what that kind of desire would bring. And, you know, that is the desire of people of this world. They want the world, this present world, to go on indefinitely or forever. And they themselves want to live forever. But that means, that really, that their desire is for um, murder and robbery and, and lies and deceit. And, and all the evils of the world, the wars, the terrorism, and, and all the, the cursed things of the world, such as tornado and hurricanes and earthquakes and tsunamis and, uh, and disease, uh, all these things that come as a result of the curse upon the creation, that none of these things will ever be solved or improved or or the diseases, yes, you might find a cure to one, and three others will spring up. Th- these problems will never go away. They never have, and they never will, because of sin and the curse upon sin. And therefore, the world is uh, it, it's in turmoil constantly, and... It, it is experiencing the results of the curse of God upon it because of man's sin and man's evil is getting more and more desperately wicked as God has lifted his hand of restraint. And uh, as it that saying goes, once you open Pandora's box, you can't shut it again and put everything back in. There will be no improvement in the world with mankind. People speak of evolving and notice they, they keep the focus on, um, the building of their cities or, or the electronics evolution as there's a progression, there's a learning and an improvement in their ability to make telephones or computers or things like that. But there's never any evidence of progress or evolution or the evolving of the soul or the spirit of man. There's never an improvement in morality or an improvement in 
um, the the realm of uh, doing right or from wrong. There there's always a downward progression. Man is going down, down, down when it comes to loving his fellow man or uh, or recognizing even what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. He's losing ability to see the difference between the two because God has been the one throughout history that has um, permitted man to live uh, in basic morality as the Spirit of God has restrained the sinful heart of man. But now God's hand is lifted more and more and so we see things like abortion and people actually think they actually believe it's a right to go and kill a child. Or uh, we see things like gay marriage where people actually think it's a um, a good thing and a moral thing for two men to get married or two women to get married. And they've lost sight of God's basic laws and morality that um, in the beginning there was a male and female and the two, male and female, became one flesh. And that's the law of God. And and people are losing sight of the uh, marriage relationship itself with marriage and divorce. And they've lost sight of the Sabbath day uh, to a great degree. Sunday is not observed as a holy day in, in um, places that it should be observed in, observed in so-called Christian nations. No, there there is never any getting better in um, spiritual things or in in the the place where man's soul comes into uh, into view. It's always worse and worse. And in these days, because we're living at the time when God said iniquity would abound. Well, uh, let's go back to Isaiah 65 in verse 17. It says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. And this is God's plan. This is God's intention. Uh, he, he, he tells us this in a few places. Not, not all that many. We were told in many places of uh, his, um, his promise to Abraham uh, to give the, the land to him. And again and again in the Bible, the promised land is mentioned. And once we understand that 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 promised land is synonymous with a new earth, then yes, God does mention a new heaven and a new earth often in the Bible. But we we would need uh, spiritual discernment to realize that. But as far as this kind of statement of a new heaven and new earth, it's it's only made a few times directly. Uh, in Second Peter chapter three, it says in beginning in verse twelve, looking for and hasting 
unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. This is what God's people are looking for, a new heavens and a new earth. And it's why there is a good interest in, in uh, a date, not any date. You know, the people of God uh, have no interest in dates that come from people's minds. Uh, you know, someone had a dream or a vision or someone mishandling the Bible comes up with a date. And these days there's uh, people who do that. They come out with a date repeatedly. And yet there's no evidence. There's there's no harmony in the things they're saying. And, and that doesn't encourage the child of God. The, the true believer uh, has no hope or good expectation in that kind of a date. And and we we don't uh look towards dates outside of the bible like 2012 or y2k or anything like that we know they won't happen we know when people put forth dates um misunderstanding the bible and not uh, properly comparing scripture with scripture it, they they have a date and we can see the error well we we have no expectation that christ would come at that time. It's when the Bible's information comes together, and it's only the Bible. It's nothing to do with a Mayan calendar, nothing to do with anything secular or um, church-related. Uh, we're we're not going by the dates of churches or or uh, anything like that. It has to come from the Bible. And when the Bible presents a biblical calendar as it has done that is precise and, and God shows us his program of times and seasons, when we can go to the Bible and go back to the very year that God created the world, 11,013 BC, and know that's the year, and then see how God worked, um, for instance, from creation to the flood was 6,023 years. And we can, we can see dates for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And we can see the precision of God as Israel entered into Egypt and was there for 430 years to the self-same day. And then came out and 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And then as God even has opened up the chronology for the judges and the chronology for the kings of, of Israel and Judah. And we can follow the timeline of history down through the biblical record and, and we begin to see how things are not done randomly. Things just do not happen in biblical history without a purpose, without design, without God 
having them have some relationship to other things in biblical history. 2007 B.C., Jacob and Esau are born. 1,000 years later, in 1007 B.C., David ascends the throne. A 1,000 years after that, in 7 B.C., the Lord Jesus Christ is born into the world. Very precise dates, having interrelationship with one another. And then we see how these things project into the New Testament era. And again, we're able, through understanding the biblical calendar of history, and, and by God's grace and opening up our eyes, we're able to see that May 21, 1988 was the end of the church age, and 1988 was the 13,000th year of history since creation in 11,013 B.C., and that began the end of the world. The Great Tribulation started then. Judgment began at the house of God, continuing 23 exact years until May 21, 2011, and and another timeline from the flood of 4990 B.C. fell on that day, May 21, 2011, and it had the underlying Hebrew calendar date, the same date that God shut the door of the ark and began the flood, and and so forth. All these things work out in detail and in harmony, fitting together, date with date, date with date, just just as the Bible teaches us, you have to have scripture with scripture, and conclusions must harmonize. So too, when we're looking at the calendar of history, the events that we're looking at must fit together harmoniously, and that's what we've seen with the biblical calendar, and, and they've fallen into place in ways that are beyond uh, man's ability to manipulate or to um, to make happen himself, and therefore it must be the hand of God. And that's why we say May 21, 2011 was Judgment Day, because it locked in. And now God has opened up another bit of information as we've gone beyond the Great Tribulation into the Day of Judgment, the 1600-day period, which leads us to October 7th, 2015. And there we we find that that date would be the 10,000th overall day of judgment since judgment began way back May 21, 1988. And it's also the last day of tabernacles and the last day of harvest. And, and therefore, God's people look towards that day with a, a hopeful expectation, this may very well be it. Because things fit together. The calendar uh, is cohesive and, and it, the 1600 days goes with the 8400 days of great tribulation. We're not forcing anything. We're not um, trying to um, mesh things together. They fit in an easy way, 8,400 and 1,600. And also, 
when we got to May 21, 2011, we knew that would not be the end of the world. We knew there would be an extension of time, a prolonged period of Judgment Day, and we knew it would conclude on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And yet, because we knew the Feast of Tabernacles had to be in view, and the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and and because we also knew the Bible typified, or actually we thought the Bible was revealing an actual period of time of five months of judgment, we looked at October 21, 2011 as being the last day. And everything looked right. It, it seemed to fit. But we were wrong. It wasn't October 21, 2011. We, we were incorrect. Yet, here now, God gives us 1600 day period. And when we travel the distance of 1600 days into the future from May 21, 2011, the day the Bible locked in as Judgment Day, then it comes to October 7th, 2015, the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. The very day we were looking towards in October 21, 2011, we were, we were right, we were correct that there would be a prolonged period of Judgment Day. We were correct that the the final end of all things would be the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, only it was not that date, five literal months away, October 21, 2011, but it was a date 1,600 days away over the course of a figurative five-month period that felt would fall on October 7th, 2015. And and you see how God worked that out? How is that possible that we're looking for the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles? And, and it wasn't that long ago we can all remind ourselves of what we were looking towards. We We knew it had to be the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And there it was, five months off, May 21, October 21, anybody can see it's a five-month period. And and that's why God's people believe that would be the day. And yet, as we continue to study, when that didn't work out and, and the people of God were disappointed, terribly disappointed, because it fit, not because we... We just want to escape and get out of the world. Of course, we we want God to fulfill his word, and we have great hope in that. But terribly disappointed because it seemed everything was in place and fit. But as we continue to study, we realize, oh, five months from the book of Revelation could not be literal. It had to be figurative. And as we continue to study, lo and behold, as Mr. Camping often said when discovering something that, that was amazing, lo and behold, 1600 days or the number 1600 we find in Revelation chapter 14 
in the context of Judgment Day, which means it would be in the context of, of that we could pinpoint the beginning date, May 21, 2011, and when you go 1600 days in the future, it falls on the very day we were looking towards from May 21, 2011, only not October 21, uh, 2011, but October 7th, 2015. Four years, four months, and 16 days, four times four, into the future, and four pointing to the furthest extent, and it brings us to the 10,000th day of overall judgment, and it brings us to the last day of tabernacles, the very day we knew must be the last day. We were, we were certain and sure it must be the last day because it is the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Bible says, um, with that phrase, last day, uh, Jesus said four times, I will raise him up at the last day. The resurrection at the last day. The word will judge in the last day. And, and twice in association with the Feast of Tabernacles, the last day, the great day of the feast. And, and here is a timeline, a timeline that goes from Judgment Day, May 21, 2011, to the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and you see, you see what God did? He has confirmed. He has confirmed you're on the right track. You're, you're going the right way. You're looking at the right thing. You correctly understand May 21, 2011 is Judgment Day. You, you correctly understand the door of heaven shut on that day. And you are, in fact, living in the day of judgment. And the judgment period will be 1600 days. And, and look where it falls. Look where it lands. The last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, you know, if it, it, it anyone who's thinking, oh, you know, manipulation, sleight of hand, uh, you, you did this, or they, they really, have a, a much higher opinion of my ability than I have of myself or any man. I don't see how anybody could manipulate the scripture, manipulate this calendar of history to make this fall into place in the manner that it has. And if, if it's so easy, go ahead, go do it. You pick a date and, and you, you try to fit all of these events into a single calendar. And, of course, you just can't make things up. You have to use key biblical events. You have to have the flood date set, 4990 B.C. You you have to have the day of Pentecost set and, and so forth. And you have to have that first day, the Feast of, of Trumpets, for September 7th, 1994 in place. And, and you have to then uh, work out a 23 year great tribulation to the very day and, and have that equal 8,400 days. 
and then uh, that day that's locked in by the the flood event uh, because God shut the door on Noah on the 17th day of the second month and then 7,000 years later exactly you 4990 plus 2011 minus 1 is 7,000 you have it fall on May 21, 2011 that has the underlying Hebrew calendar date of 217 the day God shut the door and then 1600 days 1600 a number that where did we get that number who which one of us made that number up well no no one made that up did we it says in revelation 14 in verse 20 in the context of judgment day and the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs, sixteen hundred. Now we would not have any harmony, any uh, consistency, any interrelationship with any of these other things if God had said, "And and the space of a thousand and seven hundred furlongs, or the space of six hundred and fifty furlongs, or the space of five hundred and fifty furlongs." Or the the space of a thousand and nine hundred furlongs. Actually, what are the possibilities of numbers that this could have been besides sixteen hundred? Well, the it, it's limitless, isn't it? It's limitless. It could have been the number one hundred, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred, and on and on and on into infinity. It it it's limitless. There's only one number, just one number that would fit with 8,400 numbers to form 10,000. And that's the number 1,600. There's only one number that added to May 21, 2011 would bring us to the last day of harvest. And Revelation 14, verses 14 to 20, is set in the context of harvest at the end of the world. And this number... 1600 brings us to the last day of harvest, October 7th, 2015, in the Hebrew calendar. And there's only one number that would bring us to the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. The last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, when God uses the phrase last day in association with the resurrection and rapture in the end of the world. Just one number only. 1601, we're off. 1599, we're off. But 1600, and it all fits. It all harmonizes. It all comes together in perfect unison. 8400 and 1600, like hand into glove. And the last day of Tabernacles, the very day we were looking for and, and, and hasting unto, we hoped. And there it is. There it is again. It makes an appearance. It makes an appearance. And uh, is it random? Is it coincidence? And no, no, that's not possible, is it? It's not possible that it would be uh, uh, an accident. 
you know, that's how the world thinks. The world thinks we're all here due to random circumstances, just things uh, formed in the beginning, and there was a big bang, and everything has been just happening. It just happens. The, the world looks at the sun, moon, and stars in the creation, and they lie to themselves and to each other, and they say it all just happened. The world looks at complex design of, of trees and, and, um, the, the things of the creation, the animals, the, the butterflies, the insects, the complex design of the human being, and they say it all just randomly fell into place. Absurd and ridiculous and nothing but lies and, and out of prejudice of the heart of man who in desperation doesn't want there to be a God. And yet the creation itself testifies on a daily basis to the existence of God, to the creator who created these things. And what is the evidence? The the design itself, the design of everything. We have to work hard, man does, to design something. E- even a table with a few carvings, man has to put it together. He has to use his mind and his abilities, and he has to fashion it and form it and make it. And it's a table. And that's a simple thing compared to the complexities of life that, that are everywhere in the world. Just, just, um, so many life forms in the sea or flying in the air or insects, uh, crawling in the ground. So many complex designs of creatures, fascinating creatures, all giving testimony to the Creator. And, and when we see design, we see the hand of God. And that's how it is with the biblical calendar of history. And especially as God has unraveled it and, and sh- shown us and, and opened our understanding to it, we do not see random occurrences, things just um that that happen but when we see things fall into place when when we see the creation date of 11,013 BC and and 13,000 years later come to a date in 1988 and a date that ties in with the end of the church age and the beginning of the great tribulation and judgment and uh, the day before pentecost and and then uh, the 2300 evening mornings and the 8400 overall days and so on. And these things have, again, interrelationship with other things. And they are based on biblical events and, and, and biblical information. We see design in the calendar. We see a mind, in other words, behind the the biblical calendar. And it's not man's mind, no more than the things of the world are of man. They're, they're created by God, and the biblical calendar comes forth from the word of God. And 
The mind of God is behind the word of God. He has spoken to give us his word. And he has opened the understanding of his people to the calendar of history on the pages of the Bible. And therefore, it's called a biblical calendar. It is a Bible calendar that comes from God. And as it has been laid out before our eyes in this end time, we can see that it's all part of God's program and plan to unseal his word at the time of the end to reveal information concerning his times and seasons. And and now we see God emphasizing a date, a date that is super qualified, super qualified to be the end of the world, October 7th, 2015. It is super qualified to be the last day because of the way that these um, calendar um, circumstances have arranged, how God has fit them together, and how that date is fitting with everything else. And it is locking in. It is locking in to October 7th, 2015 as being the end date. Well, uh, we sort of got off track from our passage here in Isaiah 65, but let's go back in verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. God creates. God creates. And that's why he is the creator. He is, as Ecclesiastes 12 verse 1 says, the creator, uh, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Remember thy Creator, Or in Isaiah chapter 40, it says, and, and I'm going to read these verses because they're um, very encouraging. In Isaiah 40, verse 28 and following, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, Jehovah, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon Jehovah shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. I wanted to read that because it's it's very appropriate for the people of God at this time. Very weary, very tired, cast down, and and yet they've waited. God's people have waited on Jehovah. As God said, after you have done the will of God in Hebrews 10, you have a need of patience. And patience is to wait on the Lord. And and God, um, he has helped us. He has 
he has opened up his word even further to comfort us and to encourage us. And, and they that wait upon the Lord will have their strength renewed. And God's people have had their strength renewed as, as we have begun to prophesy again, to declare these things once again. Who would have thought, um, just a few years ago after May 21, 2011, that we would be doing what we're doing right now? At that point, it was all over. It, we, we had lost. We were defeated. We were confused. Everything was a failure. And yet here we are, just a short while after, and God's people are once again wearing hats, once again wearing shirts, once again handing out tracts and carrying signs. Once again, there's a billboard, or billboards, not many of them, but there's a few. Once again, there's advertisements in newspapers. And once again, people are hearing about the end of the world. And and believe me, they didn't expect this either, the people of the world. Uh, I can't tell you how many times we're getting people commenting on Twitter and Facebook, and, and their only comment is, oh no, not again. And, and And I normally quote Revelation 10, the last verse, where God says, Thou must prophesy again. To, and let me read it. It says in Revelation 10, in verse 11, He said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. And it, it perfectly matches what they're saying. Yes, yes, again. That's God's word. That's what God is telling His people. Go forth again. Uh, you know, there's the interesting little parable in Luke 17, when the servant comes in from the field. Luke 17, uh, verses 7 through 10. Now, keep in mind, the field is the world, and the field is where the gospel was sown. So coming in from the field at the end of the day would point to the conclusion of God's program of evangelization. That, that is, May 21, 2011, the sowing program ceased. No more evangelization of the world. No more sharing the gospel unto salvation or, or encouraging people to go seek the Lord while he may be found because he no longer could be found. And it says in Luke 17, verse 7, But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, By and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet, and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. You see what God has done here? As the servant coming out of the field is, is certainly tired and weary, uh, you know, that, that was hard labor from the early sunrising till the sun would set at evening. We, we have that account of the workday was 12 hours. And, and so here, uh, the servant has been working in the field, working in the world, 
getting the gospel out. And he comes from the field, and the natural desire is to want to relax, want to eat, want to be fed, and and so forth. But the master says, and of course this would be God speaking to his elect people, don't relax yet, and, and you're not going to eat yet either. First serve me. And this relates to Christ's command, feed my sheep. Three times in John 21, the purpose of God, after the servants have come in from the field, after the great catch of fish, feed me. Remember Jesus said in that parable of Matthew 25, 35, for I was a hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. And then Christ explained, or they say, when, Lord, did we see thee? And he said, when you did it to these others, you did it to me. So as the Lord says, serve me till I have eaten and drunken, it's indicating the body of Christ. Those that have heard the gospel, the gospel was sown, God saved them. And there's a second stage now feed the sheep. And and then God uh, very significantly goes on to say in verses 9 and 10, Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say we are unprofitable servants, we have done that which was our duty to do. All those things. Some, some, they, they labored in the field. Yes. Oh yes, they labored in the field. But, but then, as they came in from the field, and Christ said, feed my sheep, it, oh, that was, that was beneath them. That, that was not exciting enough. That, that wasn't as important to them. That they they would much rather keep working in the field than than doing this um, menial labor, this task around the house of serving the Lord, at, at, you know, and feeding him or feeding the sheep, and and so they never did all that they were commanded, but God's people tired. And that's the true test of obedience, isn't it? When you're tired, when you're weary, when you've been afflicted, when you would much rather do something else, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, as you will, as you will, I'll go back out and I'll prophesy again and I'll share these things. And, and of course, once God's people do, once God's people have done this, the the effect has been re-energizing. It, it you know um, when you go on a track trip the first time and we've we amazingly we've only done it or began to prophesy again through track trips since last November November 2014 and already there we've been to many countries and many people are interested in in going on the trips and doing these things but at first. It, you're a little hesitant and you, you kind of reach out your hand um, with, without, you know, not knowing what to expect. But soon 
you're you're uh, again feeling the joy of the Lord. You're again happy because this is what God's people do: serve God. We serve God in however He would have us to do it, and 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 so now the people of God are involved in prophesying again. We're we're not thinking of being tired anymore, being weary. Uh, there, there's been a rejuvenation of the people of God, a strengthening of them by God's Spirit because of the information He has opened up. Oh, it all fits together. It all makes sense now. It all it harmonizes. Now we can see the overall plan of God in, in a very clear way. And we're looking with Good hope once again to a date. Yes, a date. There's nothing wrong with a date. The, the, who's the biggest date setter of them all? God is. I, I could, uh, go to several verses in the Bible where God sets dates. He said to Abraham and to Sarah at the appointed time the next year, or he said to Daniel, 70 weeks shall be determined upon thy people. And he, he sent Jonah yet 40 days. In many places, God set dates. He's the date setter, and people who speak evil of date setters, well, uh, better watch out because God's the number one date setter. And it's God's biblical calendar. And it's the Lord himself who has opened up the information to reveal these time uh, relationships and these dates. And, and so there's nothing wrong at all with a date. And, and by God's grace, we have a date. October 7th, 2015. And this may be the date. There's a strong likelihood it will be the date in which a new heaven and new earth is formed. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.